And I remember just having these intense cravings for Indian food and knowing that I was in Maine, I was like, I'm never going to find Indian food. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series helps us to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it, a story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank and may lose value. Hi, everyone. I'm Renee Cordes with the Main Biz Podcast team. We're here with Cherie Scott, founder of a food startup called Mumbai to Maine. Cherie will talk about the path that led her to start a food blog, podcast, and social media channel, as well as a brand of gourmet simmer sauces, all inspired by her roots in Mumbai, the Indian city formerly called Bombay. Today, her products are sold at more than 30 specialty stores in Maine, as well as online at MumbaiToMaine.com, where you can also find her blog and podcast. Now that we whetted your appetite, let's hear from Cherie. Cherie, wonderful to have you on our show. Welcome. I am so honored to be here. Thank you, Renee. Thanks for having me. So before we get to your entrepreneurial journey Tell our listeners where you're joining from today and maybe a little bit about Booth Bay for people not familiar with the area. Absolutely. I am so thrilled to be um, on this podcast today from a quaint little village town, a fishing village called Booth Bay, Maine. Very true. Lovely part of the state. So, Cherie, tell us a little bit about your background, where you were born and where you grew up. So the journey actually goes all the way back to a city of 20 million people in Mumbai, which was known as Bombay when I grew up in it. And I grew up in a small, tiny little suburb of Bandra in Mumbai. And ironically, I had neighbors from pretty much every possible religion living in my building, in my apartment. So think about all of the wonderful food memories that we had celebrating Diwali or Christmas or Easter, you know, and all the wonderful holidays that happened throughout the year. And you already mentioned it's quite a quite a big city. So what was it like growing up in this densely populated place? I think you lived in an apartment. Can you sort of paint a picture for your family home? Absolutely. It was a small, tiny little apartment. And we never felt like we were in a tiny little apartment because our hearts were so big. We all lived in each other's apartments, right? We just ran up and down. We had one phone for the entire building. And so if my mom was calling from work, the neighbors would yell out from the outside balcony and say, hey, your mom's on the phone. And I have to run upstairs two flights to say hi to my mom and get the message. And there was something so simple and fun about that. And we never knew what we lacked at that point because we didn't know what cell phones were. It was just a wonderful time pre-globalization in India. And so relationships, conversations, having cups of chai and samosas or pakoras with each other were really important moments that I treasure. And I feel like now we have to set up appointments to have those moments with people. (laughs) But it was just part of the course for us. And what did your parents uh, do for a living? 
My mom actually worked for Cathay Pacific Airways. And so that was another portal to the world for me, which gave me a taste of what was on the other side in the West, right? And so I've been flying all over the world since I was four years old and a very savvy traveler. It was the thrill of being able to travel globally. And you must have uh, grown up speaking or exposed to a number of different languages. I spoke Marathi, which is the dialect from Maharashtra, which is the state that Mumbai is the city from. And I also spoke Hindi, of course. And I learned a bit of French from eighth grade onward. So we were always very sort of exposed to different dialects. Can you sort of revisit a little bit about your, your childhood meals and your mother's cooking? Yes, everything centered around our three meals, sometimes four if you add a snack in there for tea time, right? My mom was an extremely nourishing, thoughtful cook. Um, she cooked from scratch every single moment she could. And in those days, cooking from scratch truly meant cooking from scratch. There's nothing <laughs> you would open from a can. And so my mom, you know, really didn't take any shortcuts and didn't even know how to. So I think seeing that work ethic put into the food made it all so much more meaningful for, for us when we sat down at the table to enjoy a meal with her. And now let's talk about you were a bit younger when you were nine and you visited your cousins in Toronto. That was, what was your impression of, of life in Canada and Toronto? So that was certainly one of my formidable sort of formative aha moments uh, about where I wanted to be and exactly where I did not want to be in my life. So we visited my family in Toronto, as you mentioned, and I remember just seeing a whole different way of life, a lifestyle that was completely unfamiliar to me, luxuries with education, having anything possible that you wanted to eat in a store, whereas we went to a market three or four times a day to pick up everything. But it was always so much work and life just seemed so much easier on the other side. And I remember seeing my cousins enjoying this incredible education in these schools that, you know, I felt I was missing out on. And I think once I came back, I realized that a seed had been sown inside of me and I just could not get that out of my mind. And so essentially what happened was I was very, very forceful about letting my parents understand this very clearly, that we were going to leave India. <laughs> you were how old, Sharif? It was nine. And I was nine and probably uh, the most annoying thing in their lives at that point because I did not let up. And I think from that very early age, I see myself having this pattern of getting obsessed with something and not giving an idea up. And so then you guys then ended up moving to Vancouver. So why, why there? We had a huge family in Toronto, but my mother, she was like, nope, we are absolutely not going to have any family members help us with this because we'll hear about it for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, we will go to the complete other side of Toronto. So she picked Vancouver, probably one of the hardest places to find work, very expensive city, didn't know a soul. And we landed there, sort of sight unseen with 12 suitcases. And there we were. So what was life like then as a teen going to high school there? Everything was so foreign to me. And I just remember sitting in my homeroom class and my teacher saying something about, hey, Sheree, would you like to read poem of the day? And I remember said, you mean this poem? And, and everyone started laughing behind me. And I just remember that moment being singular in my sort of saying that I would never, ever let anyone know that I was from India because I got snickered at. And from that day onwards, I decided to go to theater school in New York City and get rid of my accent. And I would never, ever be laughed at from behind the desk again. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, and so 
You mentioned that you went to New York City, where I know you went to the American Musical uh, Dramatic Academy. Is that right? So yes. How, so, how um, did you get to New York? So I thought, you know, the best way out of this is to just pick up and leave and go find my place, go find my tribe. Not that I didn't love my family and, and appreciate all the sacrifices sure. my parents had made, but I knew I didn't have a sense of belonging there, Renee, I had to get out. And again, just like I had an obsession about getting to Vancouver, I was now obsessed with getting to New York City. Interesting. And I know your your mother sent you with some special things in your suitcase that you didn't appreciate at the time, right? Yes. I found my entire suitcase covered on top with thin little sachets <laughs> all tied up with little knots with my mom's handwriting on little sticky notes saying garam masala, cumin, cardamom. My mom just packed all these spices for me. She thinks I'm actually going to cook here. And I pretty much just shut my suitcase and I decided that I was going to get rid of all of that at some point because I could not. I smelled like a spice box, Renee. What can I tell you? <laughs> you didn't appreciate that at the time. And I know your father gave you some money to, to live on. I'll never forget that moment. It still gets me very choked up. And I remember my dad standing in the kitchen and he handed me these crisp $100 US bills and it was $750 to be exact. And he looked at me and he said, he said, you know, this is all I have um, to give you. And he said, you have to find a way to make this work. And I said, dad, I promise you, I will never ask you for another penny for the rest of my life. And I never did from that day onward. And I'm sure you you did your darndest to live cheaply, as as all students are wont to do. So how did you feed yourself? You probably were not cooking for yourself, right? I couldn't cook. I didn't have uh, the know-how. I didn't know what to do with those spices. And it's the first time, Renee, I was not eating Indian food three meals a day for my entire life. And I just remembered thinking about how much money my dad gave me. And I was like, I think it forks out to about $3 a day. So I went down to this, to my building and there was this Italian older man who had a little uh, cafe. And I went in and I said, listen, I only have $3. I said, can you try and feed me every day and give me like a few meatballs and some garlic knots and put a lot of sauce on there? And he looked <laughs> at me and I don't know what he thought of me, but he said, sure, sweetheart. And so every day I would go down there after school and he'd have this little uh, to-go container with the foil and the white thing on top and he'd stuff it with meatballs and garlic knots and I lived on that <laughs> pretty much. So let's now fast forward a little bit to, I think it was 2008 when you and your husband and I think your first uh, child at the time moved to Maine. So how did you end up in Maine? Yeah, this is a great story. So what happened here was my daughter was born we were sitting down one night feeding her a bottle and we were watching a James Taylor video of him walking through the Berkshires, which is where he lives. And he walked over to his beautiful studio. It was the fall. And my husband looked at me and he said, you know, God, I wonder if we could just live like that. I wish we could just move and live <laughs> like that. And you have to understand, we were living in the tri-state area of New Jersey. So, you know, it was a different lifestyle. And so I said, why not? And one of our friends came over to record something with my husband and, and raved about this road trip he did in Maine. And he said, oh my gosh, you guys should check out Maine. It's absolutely amazing. And then one day my husband went online and he came up with this beautiful red house that we automatically just said, yep, that's it. We fell in love with it. And my husband said, if it looks like that, if it sounds as quiet as it looks <laughs> and has that view, we're moving there. And we did. So tell us what you first did, uh, Cherie, when, when you came to Maine. 
I worked in sales and events for years in hospitality. I also had the honor and privilege of working as the director of events and membership for the Booth Bay Harbor Region Chamber of Commerce, which I always say was probably one of the most formative, wonderful jobs I've ever had in my life. Because for the first time in my life, I knew what it felt like to be a part of a community and represent a community, advocate for that community, and also enjoy being a part of it. And so that was probably one of the most fun jobs I've ever had in Maine. Interesting. And and Cherie, the topic of the day is food. So, yeah. uh, you know, do you cook for your family or did you cook for your family at that time? So, Renee, all I can tell you in full <laughs> disclosure is that I make the meanest pot roast you've ever had in your life. And it's because <laughs> I was married to Guy Scott. Um, a man made of meat and potatoes. And so, you know, I just knew how to make a great pot roast. Are you a self-taught cook? Yes, that was completely self-taught. And I just had a knack for it. I think it's in my DNA in my family. And I remember just having these intense cravings for Indian food. And knowing that I was in Maine, I was like, I'm never going to find Indian food. <laughs> So I started having these really intense nostalgic cravings for home-cooked meals that my mom made for us. You know, they were really a taste of home that I was craving and I couldn't get it. So I called my mom and she would send me over in the mail these handwritten recipes with her cursive writing. I still have them. And I tried to mimic them. I didn't have all the spices. And at that point, it was sort of pre-Amazon. You couldn't even buy anything online. So I felt very lost. I had the recipes, but I really didn't do anything with them. And then it came a time where my daughter ended up turning four. And I remember putting her to bed at night. And I would read her these stories. And one night, she looked at me and she said, Mom, she goes, no more stories. I want real stories. Can you please tell me about when you were a little girl in India? Like, what was it like living there as a little girl? And I was so thrown by that question. I just dove right into it. And I started telling her all these stories about when I used to eat mangoes coming home from school and be dripping down my chin and ruin my school uniform. And my mom would be so <laughs> mad at me, uh, but it was so worth it uh, because there's nothing like a ripe Alfonso mango on the way home from school. And so... After telling her all these lovely stories, we were driving to school one morning, and I think she was six, and I heard her say in the back of the car, Mom, that was the best day of my life yesterday. Wow. And I said, oh, really? Why? And she goes, well, because I've, I realized I'm half Indian. And I have to tell you, like, I was a little speechless for a moment there, and I said, yes, you are half Indian. And I'm so sorry I never told you that. Mm -hmm. And how would she have known? Because I didn't look Indian to her. She didn't know what, know what an Indian person was supposed to look like because she lived in Maine. It's right. very hard to find them in Maine. And she also didn't try any Indian food at home because I never made any. And so it was such a wonderful moment for me. But at the same time, I just felt crushed inside. And so I called the school principal and I said, okay, so here's the deal. I've just had a moment <laughs> and I need to make good on this. And I need to teach all the kids at the school, what Indian food is all about and give them sort of a high level on India. I said, would that be okay? And she goes, yeah, sure. No problem. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I haven't cooked for a single person. How am I going to cook for 65 people, <laughs> let alone Indian food from scratch? And so I created a predicament for myself where now I had to problem solve out of it. And I took it really seriously. So I learned and studied so hard. And I picked three very basic dishes. I picked an Indian doll, 
I picked a kheer, which is a rice pudding, and I picked a basmati rice. And I just wanted them to really understand the fundamentals of Indian cooking in a dessert. And I took my masala daba there, which is an Indian spice box. And I let the kids do a sensory station and smell everything and know where it comes from. And I just remember the look in my daughter's eye at that moment. And I thought, wow, like this is probably one of the most formative moments of her life. And yet it's mine. And so, Cherie, that was maybe the the spark of an idea that later became your idea for starting a business. So at what point did you start to think seriously about taking your culinary heritage and turning it into a business? So as I mentioned, I get quite obsessed about things. So after that ride at home from school, I studied so hard. I basically became a self-taught in-home style cook. And I talked about it and I talked about it. And my husband looked at me one day and he said, enough. He said, I cannot listen to this anymore. Please stop talking about it and go write about it. And so that was the day Mumbai to Maine was born because it started as a blog and it was actually going to be Bombay to Booth Bay. And we both realized that nobody would know what Bombay was anymore and Booth Bay was, you know, it wasn't a big state in the U.S., so we picked Maine. So it was Mumbai to Maine, and that's how the story began. And I found that in developing that blog, I was actually teaching myself how to make these dishes, and then I would write about it. I started creating uh, a community around it of folks all over the world who are also living like me in various parts of the world without their moms to make them these amazing meals. And it was a great way to harken back to our childhood in community on that blog. And then after that blog picked up a lot of traction, I got a call from Stonewall Kitchen. And uh, Dana Moose, a very famous main author here and cookbook author, had mentioned that I, you know, focused on Indian food. And they asked me, they said, hey, we would love to have you come up here and teach a class on Indian food. And I said, well, how about I don't just teach a class? How about I create an entire series around regional Indian cooking? And, uh, and I did. And that was the beginning of a really amazing journey in my life where I built even more community around Mumbai to Maine. My classes were sold out and I would really pick intricate Indian recipes that were truly regional. No chicken tikka masalas there. This was the real deal. And you know what I ended up doing? When I looked back at it, I looked at all of those review sheets and I remember that was my first customer discovery as an entrepreneur, realizing every one of these regional dishes, how they impacted who was sitting in that classroom. And they were all predominantly white, right? All Caucasian folks. But I got to see and hear and hear their stories about how the food impacted them. And I think from that, it that created my initial spark that I actually had the potential of creating something in terms of a product, uh, a product line. Amazing. Well, certainly an exciting uh, new chapter for you in a life full of many new chapters. So we're now going to take a very short break and then we will hear how you progress from there. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Maine is the most entrepreneurial friendly state and they will give you every level of support you can possibly imagine. I cannot imagine another state to start a business as a small business. 
We are back talking to Cherie Scott, who was just telling us about the light bulb moment that it inspired her to start a food-related business drawing on her Indian heritage. Cherie, you mentioned that you started the Mumbai to Maine blog. I know you followed that up also with a podcast and a social media channel. So tell us about how that evolved and who your audience was. Absolutely. So we were coming up on Maine's Bicentennial. And I don't know why, but something triggered inside of me. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to have sort of an archive of Maine's past, present, and future food stories in one blog, in sort of a series? And so I launched my, in line with my blog. And so every single time I had a guest come into my professional studio in Booth Bay and record them, I would then do a full reflection on my blog about them. And so they'd have two takeaways from that to share their story. And I thought, you know, Maine is just full of the most enterprising, absolutely brilliant entrepreneurs and tastemakers. And this would be a great way for each one of them to come in and share their their maker stories. And you know what ended up happening was I ended up learning the most from them because I had these seeds inside of me of entrepreneurship that hadn't been tapped into. Now, let's fast forward to um, late 2020. I know you took another step forward with the business where you were teaching in Stonewall Kitchen at the time, or was that suspended during the pandemic? So during 2020, obviously, um, work had come to a standstill there at Stonewall Kitchen, where I was guest chefing at a whole bunch of classes lined up, all canceled. So I decided instead to use that time very productively to think about how I could bring a product to the market. And so in collaboration with the University of Maine and figuring out how to bring a recipe to market, I also in tandem took the Top Gun entrepreneurial pitch competition, which is preceded by a whole bunch of classes for a few months before where you can actually pitch. And it's it's just a fantastic sort of a, a sped up version of, you know, entrepreneurship and especially for tastemakers. I didn't even have a product in hand. I had an idea. I had a concept. It wasn't even a proven concept. Um, <laughs> but I just remember Tom Rainey, um, who is like the head of MTI, who's sitting across from me. And I couldn't even get through my pitch, Renee, because I was an absolute mess. Because the, all of these feelings about really abandoning my, my heritage and my culinary heritage and my mother all came back to haunt me. <laughs> And I sat there and I said, you know, this is more important to me that I'm able to do this to prove that I'm I, I'm Indian again, because I mm-hmm. spent so much time trying to be American in everything I was doing in my life. I'd forgotten what it was to be an Indian and why give up one for the other. Right. And, sure. and I finally had grown up and I realized I don't need to do that. I don't need to prove to anyone that I'm as American as anyone else. I can embrace my cultural heritage and still be American. And so he said, yeah, absolutely. Even if you don't get into Top Gun Tree, it's okay because MTI will give you so much support and, and support they do have, right? They have big gig and they have all different ways of entrepreneurial pitch competitions and seminars and classes and mentor networks. Maine is the most entrepreneurial friendly state and they will give you every level of support you can possibly imagine. I cannot imagine another state to start a business as a small business. And so, Cherie, tell us about your idea then, uh, starting a line of simmer sauces. Why did you go that route and why not like start a restaurant or a cooking school of your own? All great, great ideas. And they all ran through my head. And I thought, restaurant, absolutely not. I am not a chef. Um, if I have so much respect for chefs and what they go through to keep their restaurants, you know, running. It's so expensive and it's, it's a complete sort of takeover on your life. So I decided 
to play around with just a few of my mom's really outstanding signature recipes, which was sag, which was a Punjabi Indian spinach cream sauce, the makhani, which was a Mogulai Indian, North Indian blend, more of a butter chicken forward sauce. And then of course okay. the Kaldeen, which was my mother's signature Goan sauce, which is an iconic, luscious, creamy coconut curry filled with beautiful spices. And so I decided to make the Kaldeen because it was the one I was craving the most. And I had to give it a few tries, Renee, before I finally said, oh my gosh, this smells like mom. And when, as soon as I had that, the smells like mom moment, and I'll never forget, I did an entire spread for Maine Magazine for Mother's Day that year. And I made the recipe from scratch and I decided, you know what? I'm going to make it with lobster. I'm going to make a lobster caldine because we're in Maine and that's what mom would have done if she lived here. And I blogged about it. I wrote for Maine Magazine and I knew that had to be my first sauce. And the difficult part, the dilemma I had in that was I could not give up and compromise on that flavor profile because it would have never smelled like my mother. And I also knew that it had to be something that could be shelf stable because I was not going to go through all of that work over and over again every time I wanted that dish. I had to have something I could just grab off a shelf, open up and put on the table in about 10 minutes. And that was the challenge. That was the problem that I had to then solve. And so I worked with the state of Maine with Dr. Beth Calder and Rob Duma, who's the food innovation expert. And I came up with a way to stay really, really close and true to the recipe, but also making sure that it was shelf stable. And uh, I was able to to bring that proof of concept to Top Gun before I pitched in the final seven. I think everyone has this light bulb moment at their, in their lives at some point. And this was the one for me where I realized that I was actually solving a problem for myself that was something that I know a lot of other people were going through all over the world, but didn't have the time to, to do what I did to figure it out. <laughs> and I thought if it's helping me solve my problem of a working mom who wants authentic Indian food within minutes without compromising on any integrity of the flavor and recipe, then I know there's others who want that. And so I went with that instinct and I was said to myself, I said, oh my gosh, no one's gonna be able to even pronounce this Kaldeen. They're, they're gonna completely ruin it. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that is the one that I feel the most strongly about. And I'm going to bring it to market and I'm going to tell my story. And I hope that it'll inspire and resonate. And boy, did it ever. It's my number one seller. And it, was that your first product? Yes, I put all three out on the market together, all three sauces. I brought them all to market. It was the right. first and, one I played around with, though. <laughs> you get to the point where you, you launch the business. It's one thing to cook it at home. It's another thing to produce it in larger quantities. Exactly. So I was recommended that I pitch in the Big Gig. And Big Gig is another entrepreneurial co pitch competition coming out of MTI, I think out of Bangor with Upstart Maine. And it's a fantastic place to really share an idea and how you've solved it with a product or, you know, a business, etc. And so I pitched um, the sauces and I ended up winning the regionals. I did not win the finals, but I did get was a phone call a few days later. And that phone call sort of changed the trajectory of my entrepreneurial project here. And it was from Greenlight, Maine. And I'll never forget. And he said, um, so Cherie, he said, how are you? I said, I'm great. He goes, well, you're going to be even greater after I tell you what I'm going to tell you. And I said, and what's that? He said, well, we would like to give you 5,000 for all the great work you're doing with Mumbai to Maine. And I said, great work. I said, what am I doing? 
And he said, well, you're bringing your cultural heritage and diversity to Maine and you're doing it with a business and you are a female founder. And we love that. And we want to celebrate that because we have a new show called Elevating Voices, which showcases the diversity in Maine through business and entrepreneurship. And we would love to have you be one of the 12 for the first ever launch of Elevating Voices. And so it really threw me off. And, and I thought, wow, this is a sign. I, I cannot wait. This has to happen now. So I hung up with Khan, and I'll never forget the next phone call I made was to my attorney, Carrie Yardley. And I said, all right, let's do this. We're going to make it an LLC. And I said, can you, can you make me an LLC? And she said, yeah, I can do it in 48 hours. And we did it. And that was and it. So when, did your, when did your products hit the shelves? Literally two weeks after that, Renee. It kind of went into high gear in two weeks. And I'll never forget, like, we literally got the jars, the branding, um, the labels, the boxes, the, the cards, everything that goes in putting a recipe to market on the shelf in under two weeks. And uh, I remember just making a random post one night at three or four in the morning saying, you know, here's the jars. And I took a photograph of them and people went crazy on Facebook. I'd never seen so much excitement. And I thought, what's all the hullabaloo? I'm just making super <laughs> sauces. And I didn't realize that my community had grown so big over the years with everything I was doing with Mumbai to Maine before I even created a product that my story was what everyone bought into. So because I had a story and people love yeah. a good story that's authentic and powerful and impactful, I think what happened was when a product came out of that organically, there was no question that it resonated. And that's how quickly it came to market. Amazing, amazing. And so where can people find your, your sauces now? Yeah, so I started out with two stores right here in Booth Bay and I grew to over 30 in, within a matter of months. And the beautiful part about this as a startup entrepreneur, Renee, was that these were folks who came to me, who reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, we are so excited about this. This is Maine's first Indian brand. We would love to carry you on our shelves. And that made me so happy because at that point, not one of them said, hey, could you send me samples? It was like a done deal. I had the street credit. I had the story. I had the level of education and know-how by being sort of an authority on Indian food at Stonewall Kitchen. And I had sort of gone through all the steps organically over the years without even knowing it. So I think it created a sense of, you know, this, this product has arrived in Maine and we want to be the ones to get in on it right from the get-go. So it was, it was amazing. It was like a unicorn startup launch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Cherie, I mean, surely you must um, think, you know, what would your mother think of, of what you're doing now? I'm living my mother's dream and and it's it's sad but it's also sweet and I feel the enormous responsibility of, of generationally carrying on this legacy for my children and my great-grandchildren and I want them one day one day to turn back and say we don't know what our grandmother was thinking about but she started like this sauce company in the middle of a pandemic but guess what here we are 100 years later and that's okay because that's fine with me I'm more interested in creating a brand that has an evolving story and footprint over the next hundred years. Great, I'm, I'm starting to get hungry. So we'll now take one final break and then we'll wrap up with some lessons and takeaways from this whole experience. Maine Biz is Maine's business news source in print, online, and in person. We inform, engage, and connect you to the business community throughout Maine. Subscribe to Maine Biz products today at mainebiz.biz. 
I think as, as entrepreneurs starting out, we tend to overthink everything. We want everything to be absolutely perfect. And you know what? There's no guarantee that when you do all of that, you're actually going to have a product that resonates, let alone sells. We are back with Cherise Scott telling us the amazing story of Mumbai to Maine, a line of simmer sauces she launched in late 2020, continues to grow. Cherie, first of all, how are you and your family doing now? We're doing great. I think we're experiencing a lot of fatigue because I've reached a point where we're busting at the seams in our in our home kitchen. And so I'm ready to scale up and out of my home kitchen in Booth Bay. And I think a lot of folks will be thrilled about that because it would mean increased production and I'll be able to really, really expand my footprint geographically. And and so what are, what are some of your plans? One is to really explore the pitch competition circuit this year with intention and purpose, right? Because as a startup, there's nothing like free money. It is incredibly valuable and really helps kind of fuel and inject the business to the next level. And I think I need to. But what makes me happy about doing that, Renee, is that I'm not putting my hand out asking for money that I feel like I have not myself invested in my own business. And a lot of folks don't know this, but as a startup entrepreneur, I could not give up my full-time marketing job in Portland. It's a great role for me. It comes naturally to me and I excel at it. But at the same time, I realized how important it was for me to tell an investor down the road, hey, listen, I didn't put my hand out saying, hey, I need all this pitch money. I actually worked 100 hours a week for my full first year of my startup and continue to do so because I believe in my product and I believe in my business. And I know that if I've done the work that I feel sort of legitimate about going out on the circuit and saying, I've done what I have to do and let's hope you'll buy into that, you know? Right. And you're still uh, running this business from your home kitchen, right? You hope to eventually get a space of your own and and have a team of employees. It's very important for me to be out on the road, really engaging with my customers and finding out what it is that excites them about Indian food, what else they want to see me come up with, what are their constructive feedback on my sauces and how can I really cater to that, but also stay true to my original sort of regional motivation for creating these Indian sauces. And I can't do that, Renee, if I'm stuck at my stove 40 hours a week, chopping hundreds of pounds of onions from scratch. That's not a sharp and savvy way of building a business. It was great for my startup year. Again, I had to put in all the blood, sweat and tears to do that and the sweat equity. And I stood behind it. But I think it's time for me now to to really take my baby and hand it off to daycare. (laughs) And and any lessons and takeaways to share from this? I I know you've been sharing a lot of lessons along the way, but anything, uh, any other? The lessons learned here as a startup entrepreneur are, you know, to really just get out there and do it. I think as as entrepreneurs starting out, we tend to overthink everything. We want everything to be absolutely perfect. And you know what? There's no guarantee that when you do all of that, you're actually gonna have a product that resonates, let alone sells. And so I always tell people like, don't overthink it, just do it and see what happens. But if you don't just do it, you'll never know what the response is. And also the second thing is to truly believe in your story. Because if you don't, nobody else will. And to also know and trust that your story does bring power and purpose to the product that you're putting out there. This has been a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, 
and Maine Technology Institute, or MTI. The Maine Biz Podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Allison Mason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the Maine Biz Podcast at mainebiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.